and welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or our wonderful and very appreciated radio partners, international though they may be, as well as our international space station listeners out there in outer space. Which there are definitely at least one. At least one of them. That's what we say. Yeah, Staring that, at the globe, listening to Saren's sultry tones. That's right. Well, <laughs> the podcast tracker said something about outer space, so there we go. There you go. Uh, we're gonna, we have a bunch of news this week. We, we're sort of getting back out of our holiday, uh, not holiday late season. It was a little lighter, but just sort of we take a little more reflective tone. This I would say this is our official back to business, as it yes. were, uh, back to normal, uh, the normal amount of sarcasm and terrible news. Yeah, um, I'm going to be largely. I think uh, Lauren's going to be joining us in the middle. I think I'll largely going to be keeping most of my comments for uh, for there, honestly. Um, but I know we're going to be talking about salmon a little bit. Uh, we're going to be talking about Fatberg, which is a story title that I'm really interested in. <laughs> it is uh, way grosser than you expect. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. Uh, the carbon engineering, which is like I let that sounds like tech talk. I'm super interested in that. Can you tell? I don't know what's on today's show. Um, the one thing I do know about, however, is that we're going to throw you into the ocean now. But don't worry. Dave's going to catch you. (laughs) Sorry, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that. So, uh, yes, several new studies have come out this month about ocean temperatures. As uh, scientists are now able to reconstruct the history of ocean warming going back to 1871, as well as provide new and definitive analysis of acceleration of ocean temperatures in recent years. The new research has found that the world's oceans are warming much faster than previous thought, previously thought, with one analysis finding that the oceans have absorbed over a century and a half the total heat energy of one and a half atomic bombs being released in the ocean every second over the same time period. That's an atomic bomb every second for 150 years. Such warming has accelerated, and the amount of heat energy in the ocean that the oceans are now absorbing is currently between three and six atomic bombs exploding per second. It has been calculated that between 2017 and 2018, in just one year, the heat energy of the oceans increased by an amount close to 100 million Hiroshima-equivalent bombs. The Oxford professor Lori Zana, who, broker, who broke ground with the group's research on the historical warming trend, told The Guardian, quote, I try not to make this type of calculation, simply because I find it worrisome. One author stated, one co-author stated, quote, global warming is here, it has major consequences, and it's going to be very, very difficult to get this under control. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try, because any time we can slow this down, if not stop it, it allows us to adapt to it, to plan for it, to deal with some of the expected consequences in a much better fashion. The Acceleration Paper is a review of four studies conducted over the past 10 years and has found that the oceans are heating at a rate 40% faster than was claimed by an IPCC report five years ago. Climate models have been predicting this trend for decades, but scientists believe it has now been unequivocally confirmed, lending ever greater weight to climate scientists' predictions for the future of our planet. Gavin Schmidt, a leading climate scientist at Columbia University, told Inside Climate News, quote, the, the change in ocean heat content is the best measure we have of the global energy imbalance of the whole planet. Ocean temperature acceleration is a good measure for evaluating the impacts of climate change because ocean temperatures are much steadier than land surface temperatures, so increases there represent a more obvious and definable trend. Zeke Hausfather, co-author of one of the papers and a graduate student at the University of California, Berkeley, said, quote, while 2018 will be the fourth warmest year on record for the, on the Earth's surface, it will most certainly be the warmest year on record in the oceans, as was 2017 and 2016 before that. Gavin Schmidt also stated, quote, the biggest takeaway is that these are things that we predicted as a community 30 years ago. And as we've understood the system more and more as our data has become more refined and our methodologies more complete, what we're finding is that, yes, we did know what we were talking about 30 years ago, and we still know what we're talking about now. So far, a total of 93% of the extra heat being caused by greenhouse gas emissions has so far been consumed by the oceans, which raises sea levels, worsens floods, and increases the severity of storms. Ocean temperatures are projected to continue rising in the coming decades, but may no longer be able to continue absorbing so much heat and could thereby unmask the hidden warming that we have thus far been protected from by the oceans. The new work will also help scientists predict where certain sea level rise is likely to occur as ocean currents will cause the warming to be distributed unevenly. All right. So there's a couple things to to pull out of there. 
Um, the first is this 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 concept of how uh, the constant struggle to communicate. I think the scale. Uh, of climate change, mm. um, you know, it, it's it's interesting to sort of use the term of the heat of one atomic bomb per second, um, and then more, and then obviously more somewhere over 150 years. Over, yeah, well, exactly, yeah. Um, which is just like that. I you understand the what's amazing about that is they've managed to somewhat get it into a place that we can sort of understand, but that also that scale is just huge, right? That's mm. unbelievable, um, and it's because the oceans are so huge. I remember in, uh, in, 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 in my undergrad, as we were sort of learning about, this has been now almost 10 years ago, we were talking a lot about what happened, the certain amount of mystery carbon that, that sort of was getting, was getting lost in climate models. Mm. Uh, in that there was like, okay, there was like, we were pretty sure about, you know, a certain percentage went to, went to ocean, a certain percentage went here, here, and here. And they were like, but we actually don't know what happened to this other 20% of the carbon. Um, and there was a bunch of theories and, and some, and their big concern was what if that carbon just starts showing up again later? Uh, at a time when we aren't expecting it, um, and and it appears at least, and it seems as the as we sort of move on, at least part of that is indicating that it's it's, it's heading, it, it's more of it is being absorbed to the oceans than we actually anticipated, um, which which sort of means that if ever the oceans stop being able to absorb that much carbon, what do we do? You know, we we and we're and these ecosystems, while out of sight, are are incredibly important. Well, th this is where I think the um, the bathtub uh, metaphor becomes very useful to <clears throat> imagine that because, like, you don't have a sense of w when impacts are sort of below the surface, right? Sorry, now I'm going to really mix metaphors. Below, <laughs> sorry, the, the iceberg concept, <laughs> right. right? The iceberg concept where there's a whole bunch you can't see. Yeah. Flipping back to to that idea when there's a whole bunch of heat being heat being put out and but it's also being absorbed rapidly by the ocean. We are net. Uh, uh, the what you see is zero, right? Because it's up. But as soon as it goes over, the amount that it's overflowing is what you see, right? And so it'll give you this idea because you're not seeing impacts that once you do, it's going to be gradual. But no, right. <laughs> it's right. it's it's that it's as soon as it breaks that wall, you get the full force of it, right? right. So that's, these things are going to be very sudden, very sharp changes. Yeah, and that and that's the big concern, right? Especially when you look at what also what um, what's going on with the acidification of oceans, which carbon is also impacting. Because what that does is that kills a lot of the plants that are, are absorbing the carbon, right? Like there's a there's a there's a couple feedback loops in, included in this as well, um, and and the last thing, of course, is just the fact that this should be very concerning to anyone who thinks hurricanes and typhoons are going to get better. Like this, the, like if there's ever oceans warming, the one of the major, 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 major reasons why you are seeing either larger storms, more storms, and longer lasting storms, especially, is because of raising o rising ocean temperatures. Um, and so, and so we're, we're, while everything on land is still being up and down, this sort of consistent raising of temperature of oceans is, is, is the, is the key element of why we're seeing, when they say storms, especially hurricanes and typhoons are, are those two storms that they really want to talk about. On the other hand, I hear that, um, uh, typhoons are really good for, um, kelp growth. <laughs> so th those things like they'll balance each other out, right? right because yeah. we'll have all this like destruction and mayhem, but there will be more kelp. Oh, everyone does like kelp. Oh, yeah. sorry. This just didn't note less kelp. Well, we're even losing the kelp now. This is terrible. <laughs> uh, speaking of things we're losing, uh, insects. This week, the Guardian Environment Editor, Damian Carrington, uh, published a discussion with biologist Brad Lister, who returned to the Luquillo rainforest in Puerto Rico after 35 years to discover that almost all of the insects in the forest had disappeared since he had last visited. Lister's original report appeared in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in October, titled, quote, Climate-Driven Declines in Arthropod Abundance Restructure a Rainforest Food Web. An arthropod is an animal designation which includes all insects and spiders, as well as crustaceans and bugs with over 10 legs. <clears throat> the study states, quote, our analysis revealed synchronous declines in the lizards, frogs, and birds that eat arthropods. Over the past 30 years, Lucio forest temperatures have risen 2 degrees Celsius, and our study indicates that climate warming is the driving force behind the collapse of the foods of the forest's food web. If supported by further research, the impact of climate change on tropical ecosystems may be much greater than currently anticipated. The study came out. The study that came out last a study that came out last summer found that male beetles became virtually sterilized as a result of extended heat waves, and since the 1970s, the number of hot spells in that forest have gone from happen, from happening zero to 44 percent of the time. 
the insects were found to have declined by around 98% on the ground and 80% in the canopy. Total frog and bird populations were down between 50 and 65%, while one bird species, which dines almost entirely on insects, has disappeared almost entirely. Since the Lucio forest is a protected area, the only culprit for the insect decimation appears to be the rising temperature. <clears throat> As Carrington mentions, Earth's bugs are 17 times the weight of, of Earth's humans and are so foundational to the food chain that a crash in insect populations risks catastrophe. He notes that flying insects in German nature reserves have dropped 75% over 25 years. Insect populations in a forest in Mexico have fallen 80% since the 80s, <clears throat> and birds have almost completely disappeared from an Australian forest over the past 15 years, also due to insect loss. Climate change could therefore negate the effectiveness of tropical nature reserves, since wildlife will not be able to survive there if the global warming trend is not soon reversed. The Australian study stated, quote, Bird populations in the largest remnants of native vegetation, some of which have been declared as national parks in the past decade, experienced similar declines to those in heavily cleared landscapes. All categories of birds were affected similarly. We detected virtually no bird breeding in the latest survey periods. This suggests that reserve systems may not be relied upon to sustain species under, the cl under climate change. Lister told The Guardian, quote, I don't think most people have a systems view of the natural world, but it's all connected, and when the invertebrates are declining, the entire food web is going to suffer and degrade. It's a system-wide effect. Biologist Dave Goulson stated in 2017, quote, Insects make up about two-thirds of all life on Earth, but there has been some sort of horrific decline. We appear to be making vast tracts of land inhospitable to most forms of life and are currently on course for ecological Armageddon. If we lose the insects, then everything is going to collapse. You had warned me that the uh, these stories were depressing. Mm. Uh, I feel like that warning was warranted. Uh, the, the the insects thing we've come back to it. We in the, well, you mentioned even references uh, the German nature reserves. We had that. I think that was a story we covered about a year we ago. We did, yeah. Um, and and it is uh, both these stories. I think actually sort of. Um, speak to the difficulty of communicating that which cannot be seen as easily. You know, uh, that, that the, the general population probably does not experience the massive loss of insects um, in the same way that, you know, unless you're really looking for it, in the same way that, you know, things underwater also harder to actually pay Because so many to. of them are just residing in these incredibly lush and dense forests. Right, exactly, yeah. And, and often these, these insects end up being things that we... The idea that we are killing species we've never even discovered seems... Uh, well, in terms, of the, in terms of the ocean uh, thing, it's, it's estimated that we've uh, only discovered one-tenth of all ocean species. Wow, yeah. Well, if I can add another, just to pile on that factoid. So what I was thinking as well is the, the entire idea of biomimicry, which is what's come up um, when I've discussed this topic before around the idea that um, often some of the most uh, groundbreaking, the, the, when, we, when we traverse the most distance in progress uh, by some arbitrary measure, whatever that might be, um, it's often because we've discovered that nature has already solved one of our problems, not that we come up with this fantastical new solution for it. So uh, the idea of that, uh, uh, you know, the... Uh, the heat shielding on space shuttles was reverse engineered from clam shells. Diver suits are, are reverse engineered skin, uh, uh, shark skin, uh, and all this stuff. The, the things where we literally, we didn't just like, oh, that's similar to after the fact. Things where we went and we studied the thing that nature had done and went, oh, snap, that's like way better than anything we'd ever come up with. Way, way better than anything we come up with. And, our, and the next 20 years, we're going to spend trying to do our best to imitate it. Uh, even if it's only slightly. And so the idea that when we're wiping out all these species, not only is there the, I mean, that, is that bad for the sake of, it's just bad. It's also bad because of the web of life and all these arguments. It's also bad because it's very real possibility that somebody, you know, just wiped out the cure for cancer. I mean, that's sort of a throwaway line, but it's, it, these things happen all the time. And, and the species we haven't discovered and haven't experimented, these very species, which we are losing are the ones which hold the most promise for the, for newer discoveries. So it's it's shame on top of shame on top of shame, frankly. Well, and and yeah, and the fact that they really are this, you know, this this 
basis for the ecological food web. The, you know, the bugs. Yeah, the bugs. Yeah, the, the fact that insects are, you know, are are, are the, the fact that you're seeing the corollary declines from insects to the birds to, you know, to what's next, it, it speaks to this. There's a there's a actually quite a powerful essay uh, that was written in the Narwhal uh, that, that in, I think it was December, uh, about sort of the loss of the wild things. Uh, and in its converse, and it was about sort of the fact that we now are thinking about like the stuff that you know our future generations might, might experience without really even acknowledging what we have already lost. You know the, the the scale at which humans were connected to you know to the the roving massive hordes of bison, um, uh, or, or 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 enough carrier pigeons that they would blot out the sun quite literally. Uh, the fact you know because it happens over generations, we lose the memory of what it used to be like and I, I and what's scary about this concept is you know the fa- the idea that a generation from now or, or two from now you know they'll look back and just won't really have any natural world uh, and the animals that they will experience will be exclusively in zoos or or in in food lots and and that this that that and then and that and that they won't even fully understand how they know that as a quick aside, this is the weirdest thing, but there's literally a bird flying around <laughs> I uh, just saw that. the, the, the outside, just outside the studio uh, inside uh, Hard House, where we broadcast from. Stephen, so it's it your Bernie like Sanders it's, moment. It's like hurt us. It's hurt <laughs> us that we're concerned. Um, but yeah, like we are concerned for that bird and for all of the insects because they are, because um, we need to figure this out, really. Um, yeah, we, we our tech is now going to see if she can save the bird. Um, so oh, that flies away. All and, right, there you go. All right. Well, someone get it a Hard House membership. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> get, get downstairs and get buff. Um, we are hitting the, the, the eleven twenty though, so we can uh, we can we can head to break uh, and then come back. Uh, you want to talk about salmon first? Why don't, so, why don't we do a quick update on the salmon? salmon thing yeah, first. we'll the salmon and then we'll go to the break. So a new report, sticking with the ecosystems question, a new report by the Committee on the Status of Endangered Wildlife in Canada has found that only one of Canada's salmon populations appears stable. All the rest are endangered, threatened, of special concern, or unknown. The fish are important for ecosystems, feeding bears, seals, sea lions, and eagles. The government has yet to take any action on salmon, but they are also a crucial food source for the orca, which the government has spent millions of dollars attempting to save. Aaron Hill of Watershed Watch stated, quote, The really big overarching stressor is climate change. It's creating less favorable conditions for our fish in the ocean and the fresh water. And that's exacerbated by all these other stressors. So, yes, thank you, Dave. Uh, Takeaway here is that many, 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 uh, it's not just us who are in danger, uh, and we need to figure this out. Uh, The sooner the better for all of these insects and or you know and life itself ecological people don't throw around ecological armageddon uh lightly that's why i like this show Stefan, because no matter what happens every season they manage to ratchet up the stakes right exactly. every season <laughs> no matter what yeah. no matter what armageddon. every season stakes get raised i love it it's the best show ever uh megan what do we got And we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community partners all the way across the country and internationally as well, as well as our podcast listeners who are listening at greenmajority.ca through their favorite podcast platform. You can find all the links and the notes uh, that Dave produces to varying degrees, links to the stories that we talk about and all other sorts of fun stuff, including uh, the music, everything really. Even our names. Um, <laughs> which we refuse to tell you. Yeah, which you, you have to go to the website to find out yes. the, what our real names are. Uh, greenmajority.ca. Back, uh, we're going to, uh, we have Lauren on the phone, I believe, actually. Is that right? Sure do. Lauren. If, if that's even my real name. Is that, if that is your real name. That's great. <laughs> we don't even know. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, well, thank you very much, uh, and welcome back. And I believe this is the first time in 2019, so happy 2019. <laughs> Thank you so much. Same to you. Yeah. Um, so we've got a couple of stories, I believe, starting off uh, with uh, with some conversations around parenting in our in our millennial generation. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, since the question of parenthood is one fraught with contention in our society, especially in our era of climate change, Saren wanted to discuss a psychology study from 2016 that studied 197 undergraduates at a Midwest at a U.S. Midwestern urban university and found that both women and men were stigmatized for choosing not to have children. The study stated, quote, 
Consistent with earlier studies, voluntarily child-free targets were perceived as significantly less psychologically fulfilled than targets with two children. Extending past research, voluntarily child-free targets elicited significantly greater moral outrage than did targets with two children. The findings were not qualified by targets' gender. Collectively, these findings offer the first known empirical evidence of perceptions of parenthood as a moral imperative. And the the one thing as well that I wanted to throw onto that is was the sort of a, a addition of the angle just around. Um, I think we can extend that. It was not in any way covered in the article, but I wanted to to at least propose to you, Lauren, and you can comment on uh, to extend that as well to. Uh, political power, which is that during elections and campaigns, all of a sudden, um, anyone with uh, children is considered to be a more, just a better person, a more important person uh, than someone without. I, I don't think it's implicitly the opposite, but there are just so many cultural cues and power cues and social pressures around uh, having children. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Lauren. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do just want to clarify, uh, none of us currently on air do have children ourselves, right? Not that you know about. That is, <laughs> or, that, yeah, or that we know about, I would argue. Okay, okay, um, all right. Yes. So, so listeners should bear that in mind. Um, totally. None of, us, none of us have children. None of us have actually experienced parenthood. I have, um, a, I have a niece that's better. Yeah, we also have nieces. So there's, <laughs> oh, it's, okay. a lot of nieces exist, uh, right. but no children. And, 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 that's, and that's the same thing, pretty much. Like, I think my yeah. sister would be very mad if I made that claim. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to say that it is easier by uh, a factor of many. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> stay, well, yeah. stay away from quantification here. Exactly, yes. Yeah. That's our caveat going into this conversation. Um, no, we'd totally love to dig into that side about about sort of like the elections and sort of how, how people are perceived that way. But, but what this study initially made me think of was actually one I came across about a year ago now when I was doing some research around uh, climate stress and anxiety. And it was... Um, it was a study out of uh, Ontario universities. I'm fairly certain it was McMaster uh, that these students were at. But basically, it was it was speaking with students about sort of fertility intentions and how environmental concern affects somebody's somebody's desire or somebody's intention to bear children. Um, I believe it was primarily speaking to to female um, students, like like biologically, biologically uh, people people with uteruses. Um, so. Yeah, it just sort of made me think about that because uh, what this study found, although it was a really small sample size, was that um, off, oftentimes these students were sort of identifying the two. If, if they were somebody who identified as somebody who, who held sort of climate stress or climate anxiety close to them um, or was something they considered, they oftentimes were considering withholding or, or abstaining from having children in the future as well. Um, and that, that just sort of immediately came to mind when I was initially reading through this paper that you folks put forward. Yeah, it, it is an interesting uh, era, and I think I, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this as a show or if I just had this conversation a bunch with other people uh, about how we about how I don't know if it's entirely understood by by older generations the amount of which the conversation of whether or not it is moral to bring kids into this world uh, is talked about uh, amongst amongst young people. You know about the concept of you know if we are headed to ecological Armageddon as we may have just mentioned. You know where where do we stand in a in a in an obligation to to do so or not to do so? Um, mm -hmm. And there's and there's been some incredible writing about this on 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 both the side of uh, people being very scared to do this, and on the side of people sort of taking this, taking the taking the environmental degradation as actually a call to action to have kids, you know, to bring that to bring sort of the youth into a world that uh, that can that can that can sustain them and sustain you know seven generations further. Mm -hmm. The, the piece that I sort of wanted to throw in that discussion as far as where I was coming from about what I was thinking about it was was just the idea that we we what it made me think of initially is that we really just need to like in this world of the you know the social media blah 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 the connectivity and the the fact that nobody has any privacy anymore I really feel like society needs to hurry up and get over caring about what other people do <laughs> just generally right like as a queer person a trans person I just like I have to put that out there sometimes because it matters but it shouldn't matter I shouldn't have to say it and a lot of people probably people wish that I didn't um, but 
it's a thing that people like it, it, it matters. And because so many people care about it, it becomes this factor. And I just think that like, you know, one of the things that I've observed, and it's not a blame thing, it's just a thing where I see that happens a lot with parents, which is that it's just as likely to have that discussion around, um, oh, I'm now, and I think it's fine. I'm not criticizing it, but there's this sort of, you have kids and then suddenly you care more about the world because you're now thinking about things. And that's fine. That's totally normal. That's not a, that's not a criticism at all, but that's a thing that happens to people. Um, but there's also this sort of reaction that can happen sometimes to the same family, sometimes to a different family, which goes the complete other direction, which is now I have all these extra responsibilities. I can't possibly be asked to do more because I have to take care of my family. And so the, the piece there that I sort of wanted to, my two contributions to this topic was one as a meta comment, if you're not actually doing something that, that tangibly hurts, hurts someone else in some tangible way, then it's none of anyone's business what you're doing. And that applies to literally every topic. Okay. And, and the other one is that we need to have a more mature and less triggered conversation about, um, how our society functions in a cooperative state, because I don't think it's productive or useful or realistic or accurate to, to discuss our political world in terms of people with and without kids. Yeah. The, the article that I, that I was referencing previously that I, that I, that I've, that I, that was quite well, uh, suggested is, uh, this is the sort of on the, on the side of, of taking, taking the understanding of, of, of children to, uh, to, of, of being valuable within this, within the fight, uh, is from the New York magazine. Uh, it's called parenting the Cli parenting the climate change generation. Um, and and it is it is a it is a it is a is a take on sort of the, this exact concept of like you know this is where they'll be and this is you know this is I take this as a as a as a stand to to do this. But I, I, if for me if there was one thing I would I would want out of this conversation, given that you know none of us actually have children and therefore I, there's a, a limit to where in which we can have a conversation about this. Uh, although I will say that uh, we will be having back on and one of my fi most touching memories from the from the sort of twenty nine ideas for twenty nineteen was talking to um, the Institute for Resource based economy uh, with Emily, uh, who was explaining her sort of attachment to uh, the circular economy and her experience with her child, who's about two and a half, being raised in a world where sharing toys and going to a, a toy depot and bringing it back and being shared was the new normal. And the ability of which, the, the, the opportunity that a new generation provides to to actually to, to deconstruct a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the social engineering that has been placed on us and provide actually a much more hopeful and an effective future. Um, and it's a very interesting uh, piece. But I, I believe Dave has a couple other notes here, but I wanted to give uh, Lauren, if you have more thoughts on this before we, before we move on. Um, yeah, I, I guess just sort of riffing off of what Saren was saying earlier, that, that the, the whole idea that anybody would be morally outraged at the choice of somebody else to, to choose to have a child or refrain from having a child just seems so incredibly not of this century. Um, right. Ultimately, like for, for like regardless of the reason, may somebody somebody might choose to have a child or not, whether or not climate is is considered a factor. I I can't imagine ever being upset over somebody else's choice to to choose. Yeah, if if somebody chose to not have a child, um, and and I'm I'm going to be honest, I didn't read the entire study. I, I read the abstract and I and I read the notes that were compiled on it and that bustle piece. Um, it just seems so archaic. Uh, anyway, that was sort of that was sort of my last thought on that. But I think yeah. it's, I think it's a, I think it's a real indicator for a larger problem. I think is where uh, where the most important point for me lies is that this is not restricted to this one topic. We have a real social problem with moralizing each other when there's much bigger fish to fry. Like right, like, and like even if there wasn't, <laughs> yeah, even if there wasn't, we like this is like real waste of time and everyone needs to get over it. Uh, but there really is bigger things that we need to be focused on rather than policing each other's personal decisions. Well, actually, you know, the rising temperature notions means there are very few fish to fry. That's, That's actually the main well, problem, that, is that, that we're running out of fish to fry. Thank um, you for finishing my point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, but we've got, I think, is, are we going to go on to the, the, the fat burger? Yes, yes. Oh, so okay. speaking of parenting, a 64-meter-long uh, clump of oil, fat, and wet wipes has been discovered in a sewer in a resort town <laughs> It's the wet in wipes the United Kingdom. It's the wet wipes that gets me. I can't... Like, <laughs> Sorry. It is longer than six buses and has been dubbed the Fatberg. Workers will now spend eight weeks cutting it up and removing it. It was caused by flushing oil, fat, grease, and wet wipes down the drain. The, th this is just one of those, like, it's, it, it's obviously not a huge story compared to ecological Armageddon, but it's just, so it's, it's oil, 
like fat, it's fat, fat grease, like, like grease. It's, right. collect, it's congealed right. into and a then, berg. Right, and then somehow wet wipes get stuck onto it. Wet wipes, it's like all stuff that people are flushing down the drain is just clumping in the sewer. Right, so and, and it's the size it's of hardening. six buses. Six six double decker buses. Double decker. It's double decker. Oh, that's so much worse. British buses. <laughs> that's twice. That's twice as big as I thought it was. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Does anyone have a comment it's about? Just, it's just business? an amazing picture of our of our environmental impact. <laughs> well, that's what, what, what we flush away. Yeah, but are they are they having children? <laughs> that's the question. Well, they've, they've produced one child. It's, <laughs> it's a fat bird. It's, exactly, and it's the size of six double decker buses. It's right. huge. Um, Can man. we just have fewer larger children? <laughs> just one. Like, like these giants will rule this world. Right. This, like this, this kind of thing is is just. I don't know, Lauren. Do you have any thoughts? I'm not even sure if I have thoughts on this. This is the most unbelievably repulsive thing <laughs> I think I've ever had to consider. I'm I'm appalled that we're even talking about this on air. Um, but I, I know we just had a conversation about how we're, about how we shouldn't moralize people and their choices and their decisions. But, but... Like, don't we all know not not to pour fat and oil down the drain and like it says right on the package of wet wipes do not flush so I'm <laughs> I like I did I like this is this is avoidable. This I did add a very yeah. important qualifier that we don't have. We should mind our own business if it's not actively harming someone else. <laughs> yes. That was yeah. very important. Yeah, if it qualifier. is taking over the sewers, I think then we're allowed right. to at least a little bit of moralization. The, it's a resort town. It's what my favorite do articulation of that that I that I borrowed from uh, uh, someone who does public access TV in the states that I watch on YouTube is your right to swing your arm stops at my nose. Yes, um, and, your and right that to is flush things down the toilet stops when it becomes a congealed yeah. mass. So I, I have a good segue for you on this, which to get us completely out of this okay. is. Um, the today's episode is really reminding me of that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy episode, Restaurant at the End of the Universe, where mm. they're all piled around serving drinks and acting ridiculous while waiting for the world universe to explode. Yeah. Uh, just uh, thought it. <laughs> What's yeah. our next uh, segue? Da, 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 da. I'm, I'm just wondering what implements, what what tools they're going to be using to cut the thing up. I'm not trying to think about it. Okay. This is. Yeah, gonna... we don't need to dig into that. Let's <laughs> just. I'm amazed on. by it. I'm, ama- I'm amazed by it. I want more images of it. <laughs> so and this is going to be a complete segue and shift um, in, to a much more um, different topic. But uh, so, in Canada, the uh, National Energy Board has issued draft conditions for the new government-owned Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, saying the owners must reduce or eliminate the environmental impact of increased tanker traffic in the delicate area off the coast of BC. The recommendations center around protecting marine wildlife and are part of an ongoing hearing. The NEB, the National Energy Board, released a statement which reads, in part, quote, The purpose of conditions is to mitigate potential risks and effects associated with a project to protect the public and the environment. Conditions outline requirements that a company must meet in relation to a project. The draft conditions that are the focus of this reconsideration are intended to reduce or eliminate the effects of project-related marine shipping. However, the remaining conditions from the board's 2016 recommendation report would still apply to the overall project. Trans Mountain will probably reply to the recommendations this month, and the National Energy Board will pull it out, put out a full report in February. Yeah, so I, I want to just cover this as a as a remember. This is still happening, um, and expect more news coming soon. Kind of, you know. It, so I feel like often we end up covering uh, stories as they sort of entirely are now rare, rare in the head, and sort of come back. I just want to sort of get uh, remember the trans. We remember when Trudeau bought a pipeline, and, and he's when we still own it, and now we have to. Figure, and now they're trying to find a way to create some system where the government is regulating itself, and it's not. Uh, and it's not a weird circle. Uh, that's still happening. Well, and also the fact that now when. And because you can't possibly protect all these things that they're supposed to protect, when it inevitably something happens, now it's directly on his hands rather than saying, ah, oh, darn oil company, now we're going to wag our finger at you. No, dude, that's your pipeline. <laughs> oh, yeah, literally at this point. Uh, uh, Lauren, you want to jump in here? Uh, yeah, I guess just the idea that anybody could ever eliminate the environmental impact of increased tanker traffic is laughable. As long as there's tankers going through those straits, like there's, there's going to be environmental effects and they're going to be devastating because even if there isn't an oil spill, like we, we know the effects that, that, that tanker traffic even have on, on something as simple as like a, a whale's ability to communicate with other whales, right? Like it's, uh, the effects are devastating regardless. Perhaps they can reduce them a little bit by, by, playing with those routes a little bit or making sure that, that the number of tankers in a given area is reduced, but, but they're never going to be able to eliminate the effects of that. Um, I guess I would also just remind listeners that uh, we might actually be in the process of selling the pipeline sometime in the next few weeks. 
there's a, a couple companies and um, and First Nations who are looking at sort of pooling their funds and, and purchasing the pipeline from the Canadian government. So it, it might no longer be JT's. JT's issue anymore. Right, right. He might he might manage to pass it off. And I, and I, and I think that's an important important note. And it's to me actually that that so to drop off a comment br- quite briefly uh, is that it it strikes me this sort of idea that like you know you must limit the dangers of this happening is the most classic environmental uh, fight, which is that you are wit like it's that winning only exists until you lose. Right, it's like so. Like they could be successful at limiting traffic from not spilling for for five, six, seven years, but the minute it doesn't, uh, the one then 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 there's no going back. And I feel like so many of these things are like we will make sure we won't do this thing, and then but but it's it's you know pipelines fail, you know. Uh, storms knock over ships like there's so many reasons why and as you mentioned even without any of the actual really wrong things going just the amount of tanker traffic in whale habitat is already disruptive that we don't even fully understand and so well, the tankers use the most unregulated fuel on earth bunker fuel so I mean like never mind what's on it they could be carrying boxes of chocolates for your sweetheart uh, call me back when the tankers are carbon zero if the if you actually mean the thing that you're saying right it, like that's why it's so ludicrous because they could be empty and it would still be worse. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah just <laughs> they could be literally empty, and it would still be worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and so this is like an ongoing. You know, we'll be we'll be continue following this uh, as we as we care as we carries forward. Uh, before we go to music break, uh, Lauren, do you have any last thoughts, last callouts? Uh, yeah, shameless plug for PowerShift. Um, it's a convergence of hundreds of young people who are interested in taking action on climate, happening in uh, the place currently called Ottawa. Um, in February, if people are interested, go to powershift-youngandrising.ca. Sorry, shameless plug. No, that's exactly what I was hoping you'd well, do. There's such, so much. <laughs> there's such former prestigious presenters as Stefan and myself, so there you go. <laughs> Pretty- <laughs> Yes, uh, so that is, uh, yeah, so check that out, and thank you so much, Lauren, and uh, Megan, why do we listen to Music Break? Let's get down to business Let's access the And welcome back to The Green Majority on CAUT 89.5 FM. Or perhaps you'll see to us on one of our wonderful radio syndicates across the country, or maybe on our podcast, which you can find at greenmajority.ca. Uh, so this last section is is sort of inspired from a, a somewhat of a viral video that was going around uh, at this point now months ago, mm-hmm. uh, but it keeps popping up from time to time. Uh, in, in case you've seen it, it is the it's the it is a video that sort of shows someone being like, well, why aren't we you know sort of going on about how we could be making fuel from pulling carbon out of the air and then we have we have the solution we can all do this. Uh, but Dave, let's give dive yeah, in. Well, the video more. itself is very uncritical of the, doesn't really show many sides of the technology, which is why it was hyped so much. Exactly. Uh, it's, it, it, social media. it's the kind of video that makes you think, oh, yeah, we have this thing solved. We just have to do something like, like, like this. And mm-hmm. uh, surprisingly, more context is needed. So uh, Carbon Engineering, a Canadian company operating out of Squamish, B.C., has been turning heads in the energy industry by proving they can make commercially viable fuel out of carbon dioxide sucked out of the air. Massive fans bring the air into towers where the CO2, being a weak acid, is attracted to an alkaline liquid. The liquid CO2 is then separated uh, and combined with hydrogen to make gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Since the CO2 has been taken from pollution already released into the atmosphere, the fuel is effectively carbon neutral, provided the electricity used in the process is from a renewable source. Since it can be used in any traditional fossil fuel vehicle, the technology could allow us to combat climate change effectively without overhauling huge sectors of the economy. Its cost-effectiveness, however, is still up in the air. One independent reviewer is quoted by Robinson Mayer for The Atlantic as stating, quote, I don't question that the range of costs they report are valid. I think the lower end of $100 per ton of CO2 produced through their approach is probably doable in five years or so, and that their higher end of $250 per ton is more doable uh, with their technology today. Mayer notes, quote, at those rates, it would cost between $1 and $2.50 to remove the carbon dioxide released by burning a gallon of gasoline in a modern car. Another expert stated, quote, The strongest part of this paper, in my opinion, is the fact that they're actually te- they've actually tested the technology in a prototype plant for a few years. That's a big deal and offers pr- a proof of principle that's way stronger than simple calculations or computational models. 
Another told the author, quote, If these costs are real, it's an important result. This opens up the possibility that we could stabilize the climate for affordable amounts of money without changing the entire energy system or changing everyone's behavior. This suggests that the hardest to decarbonize parts of the economy, steel, cement, manufacture, long-distance air travel, etc., might continue just as they are now, and we pay for CO2 removal. This puts an upper bound on how expensive it could be to solve the climate problem because there are lots of ways to reduce emissions for less than $100 a ton. Indeed, at $100 a ton, the only places currently willing to purchase the fuel would be places with a price on carbon of at least $20 a ton. A ton? A ton. A ton. The technology could also be used to take carbon from the air and bury it underground, but nobody is currently willing to pay for that. The company's founder, David Keith, said, quote, This isn't going to save the world from the impacts of climate change, but it's going to be a big step on the path to a low-carbon economy. The CEO of Carbon Engineering stated, quote, We think this is very scalable and will have a worldwide market. All you need is air and water as feedstocks and some electricity. Of course, once they license their technology, everyone will have to pay them to use it. As things stand, Chevron, Occidental Oil, and Bill Gates are among the company's investors. Yeah, and so this is the thing about this and these other sort of technologies. A is part part of this is that the end piece is is very key, which is that no one is willing to pay the price to like as a as a as a solution to trying to offset uh, the amount of carbon in the air, uh, and and actually just in in and actually sort of as a climate change uh, strategy, it is so much more expensive than so many more simple things. Like like over a hundred dollars a ton is is a is a price on carbon that at this point while we do roughly need it like at this point estimates say we a, a effective price on carbon that would reduce emissions to the sense we need is around a hundred dollars to two around hundred dollars a ton, um, but that. But the fact that we can't get anywhere close to that currently is an indication that this is not a, a viable product for that solution. You know, we are not going to be able to to do that, at least not yet. And if it's five years away from $100 a ton, you're probably looking at still even further and further before it becomes a real a real solution there. Um, now, not to say, and we, we had sort of, there was a, it's a similar technology, not the exact same technology that was referenced a couple months ago on the show uh, about giant fans that were doing the same thing. That they had brought the price down to about two hundred fifty dollars a ton, um, and I think people really do want to. I think I think there's it, it appeals to the to the current mindset of society that we can manufacture and build our way out of climate change. Um, and but the fact is, it's still cheaper to just plant a couple trees than it is to to do this. Uh, beyond without uh, by factors of you know, of ten, really, it's much 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 cheaper. Um, and so until uh, until it comes down, or until we sort of shift the focus of what it is, it's it's a it is a nice thing, but it should not be taken as the thing that will save us. I'll disagree. I think it's the thing that will save us. All right. I'll tell you why. Well, all right. Uh, well, because uh, here's the deal. Well, of course, this involves... Uh, we're putting on our I'm uh, uh, the God King of Earth hat for a second here. Yes. Um, uh, so here's what you do. Oil companies can sell as much oil as they want. They will pay for 100% of the cost of anything that gets sold through them, both upstream or downstream, through this technology. They, if they want to invest in it so the cost comes down, that's great. You can sell as much as you can pull back out again. Close the loop. You're responsible for it. This starts in 2026. You have six years to prepare. Problem solved. Done. Solved tomorrow. You can't take it out of the air. You can't sell it. End of story. Full stop, period. Next problem. That's a, that, that, I, I, I appreciate your optimism uh, on our ability to make this happen. It's not optimism. If I'm God. Well, that's a good point. There's touche, touche. Uh, so I will say that uh, to, just to hammer home the actual price difference on what it would take to remove a ton of CO2 out of the air, um, it would take approximately six trees to reduce a ton of CO2 out of the air. Where are you going to get trees? Uh, trees. Only six trees? Six trees. Well, and what in what time span do they, do they take that carbon uh, out? 200 years. This is... Uh, <laughs> I would have to do a little more research. Um, the I, you know this is a but this is about I would presume the life of the, so okay over a hundred year period so over the over the life so carbon relatively stays in the atmosphere about a hundred years that's sort of the that's sort of the dissipation period it takes um, and so uh, a tree in that hundred year period uh, six trees would would reduce a ton of carbon um, it costs approximately ten cents per tree 
to plant. So, so tree planting, it will, will reduce a ton of carbon for 60 cents. Uh, this technology will reduce a ton of carbon for uh, $100. But quickly, though. Sure. Yes. More. Yes. Yeah. The, the speed of which it could do that is is a is 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 a, is, is, a, is valuable. If obviously. we're ta- if we're talking about overshooting the one point five degrees Celsius and bringing it back down in a, in a in a matter matter of decades, right? Then something like this could be used to suck it out, bury it. Sure. Yes. But I, but I also would point out the that what is not included currently in any of these studies is the actual energy cost it takes to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so the manufacturing a, of the thing that then reduces the carbon is also, you know, it has to be. You need electricity. Yeah. Well, and also just to back to the, the steel to actually build these, these, you know, these are, mm-hmm. to my, like, at least the ones I've seen are gigantic fans. They're not small. Yeah, they're like gigantic fan towers on top of paper mills. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a, kind of an interesting, it's kind of an interesting world in the future where it's just all either regular looking fans that are windmills applying energy and reverse inverted fans that are sucking carbon out of the air. And so the, the universe, instead of trees, we just have a, a world. Of, uh, of of different fans trying to regulate our <laughs> regular temperature. If I can just uh, if I can just come back to my what yeah. I was saying for a minute though, because like I I agree and acknowledge that it was silly. But my question is the question the serious non joke question I have for the audience is why is it silly? The reason I'm asking why is it silly is because the Alberta government has been putting a large part of their tax carbon tax or whatever they've called it into these carbon capture and storage technologies on the benefit that, Hey, as soon as we sort this out, which we're going to do any second now, this is all going to be carbon zero and you guys are all going to look so stupid, right? They've been saying this for a long time. So it's only silly because we all acknowledge that politicians and oil companies are liars. (laughs) But if we were, if we were pretending that they weren't liars, then this is exactly what they said they were going to do. And I just wanted to make that point because yes, of course, what I was saying was silly. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be because that's exactly what they said we're going to do. And we voted, uh, presumably a number of Canadians voted for people naively thinking that was what they were going to do. So I just want to put that point on there because that's very serious because the person who's being ridiculous are the oil companies and the people who are being ridiculous are the humans who vote for people as if they're not lying to you because they are. Well, I think this may be, I think that that comment may actually land on some, on perhaps the most... If there was a theme for this show, um, it is it would be the fact that you know there are there are all of these sort of these disasters and these sort of ecological uh, horrors, we should say, whether or not it is in the sewers of of of, of a resort town uh, or or in the in, or in, or in the loss of insects in in in, in rainforests, but I, I think that 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 sort of understanding. Um, in, in trying to translate that understanding, that I would say that at least probably most of our listeners have, uh, that we are sitting in a in a world that is that is hurtling towards uh, towards uh, multi multi layered destruction, um, is 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 a and how is and and we're all just sort of hoping we'll figure it out, but no one is really presenting uh, a, a, a way forward in any in any sort of comprehensive way. I'll say there's, uh, not no one, but I would say no one who's currently has no more one with power any authority. than say, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, no one who's had more power than I would say, you know, like I, there's, there's, there's some people who have bits of power in some places, but there's still a, a, a ways to go. Capital P power. Yeah, um, and I think that that to me is maybe the is 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 a is a is a this sort of question. There's a there's a fascinating play that I think is just closing up on next stage in the next two days, uh, but I'm sure it'll come back. It's called Athabasca. Mm-hmm. Uh, happened to see it on Monday, uh, and it and the, and the whole play is basically a um, a a a oil executive is is leaving the company and a and an, and an environmental activist sort of gets him for an exit interview uh, and it sort of escalates from there um, that sounds awesome. I'm it's intrigued. It's already. actually very good. Uh, highly recommend it. If that was actually just like a YouTube video of that, I would not be interested. But right. like a written yeah. scene. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah, and it's a site-specific play. Well, this is done in next stage site-specific. It's a very good play. Recommend it. But the point I'm trying to make is that it sort of spells the it, 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 the, the 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 gambit basically is is this activist is trying to get the 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 oil executive to admit that. They sort of know it's hap- that they accept it's climate change, but they're the one living in a fantasy world. That 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 the oil executive is the one that's sort of living in this in this in this in this world. That 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 they're the one denying lying to themselves, not that, and that the activist has sort of tried all these things and is sort of getting more and more frustrated that they're not getting action. Um, and and 
that sort of underlying question is I think is what brings up all of these different pieces. You know, like the fact that the debate about having children has never really been more uh, salient uh, amongst, you know, at least those of us who are in that age in which this conversation happens is directly tied to this sort of fact that like, you know, in the back of our brains, uncertainty about the future is, is, is overwhelming. Um, and, and, and every time we have a new story about say, whether or not is the insects population collapse or, or this, or this other pieces of these, of these, these things, we are consistently brought up in this question of, okay, what do we do? And then, so we latch on to someone when someone says, oh, I have a new technology, I can fix this. It's like, it's a breath of fresh air. Um, and I will point out that, sorry, did I interrupt? No, 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 I will point out that, uh, what appears so um, attractive about the technology is that you know, it, it appears that we can still continue doing everything that we're currently Everyone can have as many cars as they currently have, fly as much as they're currently flying, just replace the fuel with this stuff, and we're good to go. Well, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, and the price point, you know, that it's that it's, oh, it's, it's a dollar, it's, 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 it, it, just to create is a dollar per ton. You know, like you're, mm-hmm. Then you're talking, or dollar per gallon, sorry. Well, the, um, the, uh, the, the David Keith, the uh, founder of the company, um, goes... Uh, you know, it's it, we can solve climate change with the with the technology. We just need a uh, an industry that's over a trillion dollars, right? Which is uh, he goes, you know, it, it, which is totally doable because the airline industry is over is uh, is trillions of dollars currently. It's like okay, your fuel is going to be as big as the entire airline industry. Well, it, it, and that's the thing, right? Like I think that's the part of what people are constantly looking for is a a way to believe that they don't have to change, <laughs> mm. uh, and that we will still be okay. Um, and yet, with and all the bugs collapsing, we're going to be we're going to change. It's, we're going to change. Change, yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the sort of the rallying cry of, of environmentalists to, now. Is, is is not only are things going to change, things have changed and are changing. As Tanya Tagak says, retribution will be swift. Mm. Right, uh, and 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 we yet unfortunately we don't know in which way. You know, that's that's perhaps the most most terrifying part about it. And it's it's that little bit of like, how do we figure out what we are doing? Um, in this, uh, and 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 create a a a a, a galvanizing message uh, for change that that you know because things are changing they keep changing and we have to figure something else that's different and the answer I I do actually think that probably speak almost certainly speaking some version of pulling air out of the uh, out of it with something like this will be in some way a part of a future I I, I fully believe that it cannot. We cannot think that that is the, the te- we cannot, we will not technology our way out of this. Um, if, if we were going to, cold fusion would have been invented 30 years ago, and that's how we would have done. Um, but if that's not happening, I'm not holding my breath, and so we got to switch. Well, we're out of time. I was wondering, can I close the show yes, on a do. controversial statement that might get us email? <laughs> That's a very uh, sure. Why it's my not? turn. It's yeah, usually yeah, you. All right, all right, okay. go for it. That's the the entire sub theme of today's show is why uh, whenever someone mentions the secret or anything like that uh, makes me absolutely mental. Uh, because no, everything isn't going to be okay if you just close your eyes and hope it's going to be okay. You have to get outside and do something. Get off your butt. <laughs> Stop expecting the universe to take care of you. All right, that's all right. the message. Okay, that was. If you email me about that, you will get a very salty reply. <laughs> <laughs> have a good show. Uh, have a good weekend. Everyone will see you all real soon. Take care.